You're listening to On Mission with Dr. Matt Davis, a podcast designed to explore the personal mission of everyday leaders. Hear from men and women who are making a difference in their corner of the world and discover what keeps them on mission. Welcome to On Mission with Dr. Matt Davis. I'm Jonathan Sheely. In today's episode, we learn more about one of the most successful coaches in Maranatha's history, Coach Regina Delosier. Coach Delosier is an associate professor in the School of Education by day and the head coach of women's volleyball by night. Coach D is one of the most incredible people to talk to, and her life story is pretty fascinating, as we'll see a little bit, little glimpse of it today. We didn't even get through the whole thing, really. No. Our, that'll be in like the second episode right. with Coach Version D. Two. But so many lives that have been impacted over the years. And a coach just has that incredible ability to reach into your life and become important and be important and and speak and become the standard. And I'm just so thankful for Coach Delosier's long tenure of ministry impact in that way. She's just, uh, she's so intentional with her relationships. She just owns the girls on the teams. And, and now as she's worked into working with the, the men's volleyball team as well, she's just adding her professionalism in that space. She's just a lovable character all the way around. I, I think it's interesting though, that when it comes down to it, she doesn't necessarily think of herself as a coach first. Right. She's an educator. Right. And she is in ministry and she just wants to impact the lives and help prepare that next generation for the classroom as they'll go out and teach you teaches in our school of education and certainly those that play for her out on the court. It just develops a totally different standard. And whether you're at a beginning level in developing skills or whether there's an advanced level of strategy and tactics that come into play, someone who can give you just the right word of motivation at just the right time. I didn't tell the story in the podcast, so I'll tell it now. I think it's fascinating to watch how she coaches volleyball. And I have noticed that when we're taking on a team that's very strong and in that first game, the the confidence level might start to dip a little bit and our players will start to look at each other or they'll, they'll, the other team will run off a bunch of points. And in volleyball, that momentum is huge. Right. And I always turn to my wife and I say, she's about to call timeout and maybe it's uh, seven, eight points into the match and that's all it took for Coach Delosier to figure out what the other team was doing that we weren't we weren't defending correctly or that where the gaps are that we can attack. She calls this timeout. The team comes back out on the floor and runs off three straight games. I mean, it's just unbelievable right. how many times she has pulled that off. Her court sense is phenomenal. Her ability. I I, I heard a story that that what came through Pam Fiocchi and. She and her husband and uh, some others, they went to watch uh, Division One volleyball. Yeah. And she she's calling the plays before yeah. they happen. <laughs> Which D1 volleyball just takes place at a whole other pace and, and at a whole other height level. Right. You know? And right. it's fun to watch, but there's not usually as many rallies and as many at long points. You know, they're, they're kind of like receive the pass, make the perfect set, smash it down on the floor <laughs> or right. block it on the other side. I mean, they're pretty... Pretty, when you do see an awesome rally between a couple of teams, it's like noteworthy and makes ESPN, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so really love Coach D. Her passion and story are incredible and part of the fabric of Maranatha and Maranatha Athletics. Right. Which, you, you know, actually we have some opportunities for people to experience, 
even yet this summer, don't we? Right. And uh, this is one of the greatest times to talk about it because if you want to align yourself with a coach like that, even before you're ready to come to college, yeah, we have opportunities to come to Sabre Camps where you can work not just with our coaches, but with the college athletes as well. Oh, the athletic camps are a tremendous opportunity to just get a glimpse of your potential and to really step your game up. You want to take it to the next level. You got to come and be a part of one of these Sabre camps. I think it's interesting too that a lot of the players that came as, as high school students and prospects end up coming to Maranatha and playing for the coaches and then they return. And so mm -hmm. a bunch of the alumni from over the years – will return back and volunteer to come and work for the Sabre Camp. So it's a great opportunity, not just Coach D, but some of those incredible, some of the best players we've ever had in program history will be here helping out for camp. And we say that she's one of the most successful coaches in history. And we get into a little bit what we mean by that in this episode. And if you want to know what one of the tests of that is, is when they come back for alumni weekend. Oh my goodness. And yeah. when the graduates come and they're, they're passionate about getting back together with coach and the players that they were with. That's when you see what she was all about in the first place. Yes, she has national titles to her career. Yes, she's had all Americans play on her team. But more than that, she impacted them for the cause of Christ. Amen. Well, let's get to it. Mrs. Regina Delosier and her husband, Kent, live in Watertown. They have three children and six grandchildren. Her favorite meal is Chicago-style pizza, and she enjoys playing golf. She also enjoys playing with her grandchildren. She says her favorite team has to be whoever is competing currently at Maranatha Baptist University. But deep down, she always enjoys watching the Oklahoma Sooners. Regina, welcome to the podcast. So I have been really looking forward to talking to you because you are one of my heroes on campus and you have an incredible track record, three national championships with the women's team. But I just am excited to hear how God brought you along this road. But before we get there, I do have some questions for you. My first question is, if you could go anywhere, and you can bring Kent or not. I mean, we, you know, this is your choice, okay? So, I always bring my husband. All right, you should probably bring him. <laughs> That's a good idea. Anywhere in the world, what's on the bucket list? Where would you go? Well, I say I would bring him anywhere, but the last three missions trips we went on, he didn't get to go. But oh, poor guy. <laughs> where I would take him, I would love to go to South Africa. I would love to go on a safari. South Africa? The savanna is my favorite biome. Okay. As I teach science here also for the yes. LEDs. Oh, that's right. And I, um, <clears throat> I love the savanna. I love the animals. I would just love to go there. Some of my children were able to go to South Africa a couple of years ago. And they went over on the South Africa to the bush side, but I would rather go over more to the savannah side. And they didn't take you with them. They didn't. The wow. nerve. I know. So South Africa is a long ways away, and the world has gotten kind of closed off in the last few years. And a lot of would-be intentions to, to travel have been canceled and waylaid. We alluded to the national competition that was interrupted. You guys were literally on the brink there, weren't you? What was the what exactly happened when when COVID shut everything down in 2020? That year we actually got to have our yeah, you national had your, tournament. Yeah. It was scaled back basically because several of the teams had to pull out at the last, so it wasn't the nor a normal nationals that we would normally have. Yeah. Uh, even we couldn't even sit in the gym and watch the other competition. We had to watch it from our hotel room. So Oh wow. It was it was very different. And that's really part of the fun when you have these competitions is getting all of the teams together. And oh, the you should have heard our hotel room. It was pretty exciting yeah. to <laughs> listen to this. You weren't social distancing? 
Well, <laughs> we were a bubble. We had a bubble. Oh, you had a bubble. That's right. Okay. Yes. You were the direct related. Remember all that? I mean, it, it seems like a million years ago in some ways, and yet in other ways we were still living the nightmare. Yes. But as we think about all of the accommodations that have had, we've had to, hard, we've had to fight hard mm. to keep the athletics programs going. It has been The year of COVID, this. the closest we went for competition was four and a half hours. Wow. That so is we a were long on the road a lot on a weeknight. <laughs> and wow. one weekend we went ten hours to North Dakota. And a lot of tri meets, which explain what that is to people who don't know. Typically you would try to no pun intended. Yeah. Typically you would try to play more than one game, especially if you're traveling that far. So you would either do a quad or a try. So you would play that team and another one and everyone play basically round robin. Mm. So you do an overnight and then in, in two days, like maybe a Friday night, all day Saturday, how many two games? Two Friday, two Saturday. You're so it's exhausting. The ladies were very tired by the end of the weekend. Plus now we're traveling home at least four and a half hours and they get home at 10, 11, midnight, I 1, have, 2 a.m. And then we're up for church the yes, next day. I have so much admiration for student athletes because mm. they... I mean, they're not getting paid, and it, 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 you know, we play in the D three for NCAA, and there's no scholarshiping, and so they are doing this for the love of the game, for the love of competition, for the character building aspects, and frankly, because they want to be around you. I mean, I would assume that that's obviously about ninety percent of it. Would you say absolutely? Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, <laughs> maybe but, we'll back that number but down. They're, but they're playing. For the intrinsic value of that competition, and yet they're student athletes, and the student aspect of it doesn't slow down or change just because they're on the road or had a difficult. And that is one weekend. thing we say. We emphasize that a lot that you are a student athlete. The student comes before the athlete. Mm. But yet, my athletes seem to be able to balance their schedule better than many other students on campus. And what we talk about with scheduling their time, that a lot of scheduling that time is their social time. Mm. And I tell them, your volleyball is your social time. Yeah, And it really does become it because it becomes their family, their team, their mm. uh, their mentors, the people that they go to. Well, I'm astonished at the work effort and the diligence when you see so many academic All-Americans, which is really an achievement. That is really a high mark for the, the program. And as a coach, you're actually not only supporting that as a coach, but you're also a faculty member. So it's almost like a conflict of interest in some ways. Yes, many times. <laughs> probably pulls on your <laughs> loyalties. And, and yes, my students know or my players know that if uh, the, the academics must come first. And many times I'll say, I think today you should probably set out a practice and go take care of that. Wow. Well, sometimes it comes down to a priority choice. And mm. that's what a lot of young people paralyzed with indecision will will balk at is that saying yes to one thing sometimes means saying no to other things that are perfectly good things, but not right now. And that's for life in general decisions, but sometimes it's a daily decision of which thing is the priority today. And for the student athlete, that is a, a tough one because if, if they're not on the road with a game, there's a practice or there's a workout or there's something one of the things I share with the incoming freshmen is I'll tell them, make sure you're getting a planner, like yeah. a recruit in their senior year. You get a planner, start learning how to use a calendar, start learning how to write all mm. of your 
everything that you want to do down so that you really can accomplish the things you need to do and be that successful student. Yeah. And you don't really have to do that in high school. You know, we've all played high school athletics and everything is kind of scheduled out for you and fit in and around the high school schedule. And especially at a Christian school like Mm -hmm. where I went, if the basketball team was gone, well, there wasn't a whole lot left to have class with. So we, uh, we always were scheduled for us. But in college, you have to take control of your own schedule. Nobody else is thinking about that. And and some of them work on top of it all. It's just amazing. I, I stand in awe of the of those that are able to balance all that so well. And as a parent, I appreciate so much Maranatha's coaches and their emphasis on building the character and achievement at a high level competitively on the court, on the field, but also that their academic opportunities really are that priority to be supported. Coach, we recognize we've been talking about uh, your successes. We've been talking about what people know you for, but people want to know what drives you, what's behind all of that. So the question that we ask around here is, what's your mission? Let me tell you a little bit about me first so that maybe some of that mission will come out. I like to use Isaiah 43.7 because in Isaiah 43.7, it starts out by saying, for those that are called by my name, I want people to know that I'm a saved person, hmm. that I'm a Christian. And then the second part of that says that um, that I've been cre- I've created for God's glory. So I want them to know that I'm a creationist. I'm a six-day creationist because it has that in there, mm-hmm. being a science teacher. Yeah. And then the third part of that, that I'm c- created for his glory, that I want my life to glorify God. So saying all of that, there's quite a bit in that one verse, I think it kind of drives – I've always been – a person that I want to do things with excellence. Hmm. So serving with excellence to be able to glorify God. And I think that's another one of the verses that tell us that we want to do all to his glory. So I think that all kind of ties in together. And our volleyball theme verse is 1 Peter 3.15, which talks about living in a way that someone would ask us, what is the hope that we have within us? Hmm. And so we talk a lot about not just playing for fun, but playing with the idea that we are different we, because we have something different within us. What, what kinds of things in volleyball would be noticeably different about the way a believer approaches their, the game? I had someone come up to you one time and tell me how much they loved watching my team because they just have smiles on their faces. They're just, they seem to be happy while they're playing. They're they're enjoying their experience. So I think that's one thing that you could see from them. I think when they cheer, they're cheering for themselves. They're not cheering against someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, they're um, constantly hustling. So therefore, that that's that idea of always giving a great effort. Um, we do honor calls. And I think that's probably um, something that you, <laughs> To explain an honor call. I mean, I've, I've been... Had the, I've had the privilege over the last few seasons of of being the commentator on the live stream. And, and I love it because, I mean, honestly, I was making these comments from the stands anyway, <laughs> so they might as well be broadcast. But uh, And I try to help the officials on your behalf, just so you, you know. I I'm assisting that. I do from too. The, yeah, <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> but you're always a little, little better and more persuasive than I am. But uh, I don't know that I've ever persuaded them to change the call for me. Although about it's being frustrating, a coach. yeah, it's it's frustrating to us in the stands 
when this happens. Okay. But I explain, explain what an honor call is in volleyball. Well, each one of the referees and the line judges, they each have something they're watching. Yeah. So the uh, up ref is watching the ball. The down ref is watching the net. Mm-hmm. So usually no one is actually watching who's touching the ball at the net. The line judges are to be watching if there is a touch on the ball by the opposing team, and they're supposed to be watching the lines. Hmm. We have a lot of times. But it happens fast. It happens very fast sometimes. And sometimes it's just very much of a nick of a finger. Mm -hmm. And... So and a lot no of times the replay. person, <laughs> not, not in D3, and a lot of times the um, the other team will say they knew, they saw, they heard a touch, and so everyone will be asking for a touch. And what we do is if the other team is asking for a touch and we've touched the ball and no one has seen it, neither the upper refs or the line judges, we will give an honor call. And do the officials then reverse themselves and yes, give the do. ball the other side? Yes, we, we usually hold the honor call until they do see that we have touched it, and then they accept our honor call. The honor calls actually get put in the, the book. They record that. Really? They record that. Are we like the only team in the league that ever does this, or is that a, a thing? We're probably <laughs> the only one in D3 that does it. Wow. So I can't even fathom this in, like, basketball. Like, guy says, you know, I ref, I fouled that guy on the way to the basket – he would just the, the ref would look no. at the player and go, uh, well, "So what?" I mean, I, they, they don't have even. Well, we've been a on mechanism. the other side of that. Oh, I'm sure. Where <laughs> we know everyone on the court knows that there was a touch, but the four officials did not see the touch. And the other team, and is we're not always gonna... asking, "Do you have an honor call? Come on, you surely have an honor call." Yeah, no honor. No call. Yeah, <laughs> no yeah. honor call. <laughs> and, and, and that's a so that's a sportsmanship thing, but yes. it's kind of literally a character issue. Um, that shows up in the sport itself and is detrimental. Now, we have these in golf. I was just thinking, oh, we do have this in golf. It's the only other sport I can think of where you have to call your own fouls. Right. If you ground a club in a hazard, uh, if you if your ball is on this side of the white stakes or <laughs> that side of the white stakes, you know, those kinds of things happen there. But in, uh, in a competitive team sport, that's got to be one of the only – only kinds of arenas where that kind of thing would ha- would ever happen. Imagine football if they they, <laughs> they did that. Oh man! And so it's not that you aren't competitive; you are extremely competitive. So you were you were telling us kind of yes. Your, I try to temperament that. <clears throat> you gave us the verses for yourself and for your team. Right. So how did you? Did you always want to coach? Was volleyball always your 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 key sport? I mean, give us kind of the run up of how we end up where we are today. I started coaching thirty years ago. As a baby. As a baby. <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate you putting that in there. I was Toddler telling coach. I that's mean, what that's I was telling good. Jonathan earlier. Some of the dates are going to to show my experience, but uh, I actually I started in in sixth grade was the first introduction. To sports. To the sports. Okay. And, you know, a lot of kids now, like my own children, we started them when they were five. And I didn't start till sixth grade. Wow. And I just had coaches that inspired me. I loved them. I went to a public school, but all of my coaches were Christian. Is that and, right? Yes. A small rural town, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And went to churches with them. And they um, they just kind of inspired me. And I just loved 
the competition. And was that I will volleyball? Even, well, I will even say before that, I loved uh, outrunning all of the boys on at PE, you know, and then on the playground yeah, until fourth of grade. Of course you did. So, yeah. But yeah. So I don't know. So I think it was always that little school. bit of uh, competition going oh, on. Man. But no, it was always uh, <laughs> basketball and softball and track okay. until my junior year of high school. And then that's when volleyball was added, not to my junior year. So I really didn't get to excel at volleyball because I didn't grow up with it. But yes, my junior high and my senior high coaches are, I would say, are my inspiration and my mentors. I know Will Licht was talking about how not having that mentor, but I did have mentors in yeah. my coaches. And so mm -hmm. I have a special love. Matter of fact, one of my coaches just passed away Is last right? month. Um, one of my special junior high coaches. And you recognize the influence that a coach has on the direction of a life can, you know, if they're, if they're a word uh, at the right time or, you know, helping someone see their potential, those kinds of imp impacts. I think you can probably tell me, I, say I was probably either maybe strong-willed or spunky or, and I will tell you that my coaches really helped develop me through some of those. Some of them were very negative things that I did. They helped to to grow me, to stretch me. There's something unique about a coach to be able to say things like that, to be able to redirect those passions that are being had at, that that are being felt at a young age, and even, even harnessed, right? Yeah, that, and that's saying, not this a is, bad thing. But right, this is how you use it, right? Instead of you know blocking it and telling you you're not supposed to have emotions. No, God built us with emotions. I have a a terrible story <laughs> that in high school basketball where my where Coach Phillips was actually redirected me. Um, I had a technical foul. It's kind of a long story. I won't tell you all the parts of my technical foul. But, <laughs> but before the referee called the technical, my coach was pretty much out there and had me on the bench pretty fast. So. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yes. And and it was earlier in the game, so I kept looking at him all throughout the game, ask, you know, when am I going back in, coach? And I never got to go back in, and he really trained me through that. I told myself I never wanted to experience that again. But how God used that story, which is pretty funny, is that that person that I kind of shoved across the court Oops. and got the technical foul, <laughs> she became my college roommate. Oh, <laughs> man. I'm sure she didn't remember that at oh, all. Oh, yes, we do. We talk a lot about it. What's Amazing. Really? Yes. But, you know, there's it, it is something about the competition that brings out both the good and the bad, the emotional. It puts you through stress. You know, stress is a, a testing, you know, thing, but it's also something that teaches us in the moment how we respond. And frankly, when when a player loses it, the appropriate thing is for their own coach to be the first one to recognize that and take remediary action, right? And and uh, if that means pulling them out of the game and... Well, and I use it to teach my players now. I just tell them, they're not your enemies. Those are just the opponents you're playing. And as soon as the game's over, the game's over. You know, whether you won or lost, the game is over and they're just people. And then we usually try to pray with them. We usually try, to, before the game, we pray for them. And then after the game, we try to talk to them, pray with them, even whether if it's a faith-based school or not. All right. So you were competitive, whatever sport they had in, yes. in school. Did you know that I had a college scholarship to play basketball? No. That Where I turned to? down. It was in Oklahoma. Wow. But I turned it down. Okay. So, 
to things go. we find out. This is why we have a podcast. Yeah. Well, I, I had no idea. I ended up uh, going to a junior college, getting a two-year degree, and then went on to a state university to get my four-year degree, a four-year degree in math and engineering physics. Okay. Wow. I didn't know that either. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so. Well, I started out for college. I was going to be a legal secretary, but oh, I also- Oh, you a great legal secretary. I also had a, um, an advisor- that mentored me and helped me and saw my, my potential in math. And then that was who steered me on because I was only going to go to the two-year university oh, wow. or two-year college. And then I went on. And All the lawyers in your law firm, if you'd have been a legal <laughs> yes, secretary. Yes, I know. We've, we've had that week, haven't we? They would have been shaking in their boots because, honestly, the legal assistants run the place. <laughs> and you would have you would have run that law firm like patent storming North Africa. I well, think you would. We know uh, that administrative assistants run the world anyway. So. Absolutely. All right. So you you got redirected and then education was well, not even on the radar or what were you planning nope, to do with that? Nope. Then I went on to get an engineering physics, which was to go into uh, engineering for petroleum. Okay. So we're I'm in from Oklahoma. Oklahoma, Texas, mm -hmm. Oklahoma. lots Petroleum of engineering. And that was the year that I graduated that the oil went bust. Oh. And you could have been a roughneck the, out on mm -hmm. one of the oil rigs. Uh, actually, in the Gulf. I had two job uh, opportunities. One was like Dow Chemical and another. And that was the year they wow. had to pull back on any, uh, any employment. So uh, that industry so, is such an up and down, isn't it? Yeah. So that's wow. when I went into telecommunications. Of course. <laughs> of course. Well, but, you know, I can see now, obviously, 2020, uh, God's perfect direction for me because I had these other jobs. Matter of fact, if you knew about my interview for my telecommunications job, I pretty much told them I probably couldn't do what they wanted me to do, and they hired me anyway. Wow. So they saw I, something. So I worked there for uh, five years, and then I had the opportunity to be um, transferred to Lyle, Illinois, suburb of Chicago. And then that's when the education began. So you had no education training at that point? You just had the that content, the STEM background? That is true. And the school said, we need a teacher. Would you do science? Well, not exactly like that. <laughs> How did that. it go? <laughs> so in the telecommunication, I was a manager for the Switching Control Center, which is the digital center, which was kind of the predecessor for cell technology. But that was back in uh, the divestiture time mm -hmm. of AT&T and yep. Bell, the Ma Bell. And so they allowed them to keep a training arm, a training and research arm. And so Bell Communications Research is where I went to work. It was actually uh, pretty shocking because my husband and I are both from Oklahoma. And uh, we really, we prayed about it. We just asked for God's direction with that. And he just made it very clear that that's where he wanted us. And so he sent us up to Lyle on a three- to four-year rotational job. We stayed wow. there 20 years. Yeah, that was a, mm -hmm. a good rotation. Yes, very good rotation. <laughs> Did you have kids at that point when One. you made the move? One. Oh, okay. She was a year old. Wow. Yes, it was, it was hard for all of the uh, grandparents because they had one grandchild and we took her to, Long uh, to ways Illinois. Away. Yes. But when I went there, I went for the... My my job was an instructor and a course de designer, so then that's when I started in education. In, okay. Uh, in it was more corporate education. It was corporate education. Okay. Yes, I taught equivalent to eighteen hours of college credits 
for digital switching in a particular, I was one of like a handful of subject, subject matter experts for the United States. So I wrote training for Canada. We for... should look at adding that major. <laughs> what, what would it be called? Well, today it would be called <laughs> cell technology, but oh back goodness. then it was digital switching. I don't know of any Christian colleges that have that major. Could be huge, Jonathan. <laughs> it's the next big thing. <laughs> but that's where I learned, you know, we had a state of art center there. It was a multi-million dollar center. It was multi-million dollar laboratory. We did all of the casework. We did all of the laboratory work. We did all the training. Wow. Um, for uh, we we even did trained for Australia. We trained for Mexico. We trained for um, Canada. We trained for Puerto Rico. We trained. So you're meeting people from all over the world. Yes, are and most everyone. So I was in adult education, literally like forty to sixty year old, and almost all of them were men. So I was one of the very few women in this whole. <laughs> I bet that was this awesome. Whole world. I feel like <laughs> this was, is a key part of your story. Right. Well, can I go back to my? <laughs> well, it takes a certain personality to do that. Can right? I go back to my engineering physics? Yes. Do you know how many women were in that? Oh, I bet there were not a big. The two of us contingent. Yes. yes. Wow. Okay. Wow. So, so, yeah, so I went from that to the training, but it was in 88 when I went into that, that we were first introduced, my husband and I were first introduced to Christian education. Not that I was in Christian education, but the church we went to was with Christian education and our friends and their children. Our, we didn't have children in school yet. Sure. And we were able to watch and see this and we were like, wow. And that's what we wanted for our children. So yes. in 92, when my daughter started to school, that's where we put my daughter. So we purposely, we chose to put them in elementary and junior high and high school and college in Christian education. And we did not learn about that until later in life. And so all those years in the corporate world, you're not coaching during that time. I am on the sideline. You were on the sideline? Yes. I was doing club, park and rec club. Okay. Yes. So, so you our kept children have always that. been, yes. I coached basketball, softball, and volleyball. Got it all. We're going to need a graphic. Yeah. I, I need a map. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> this, is a, this is a winding oh, So I'm path. not even done. All right. Well, Because well, then keep I'm going. from there, you know, remember I'm on a three to four year rotational yes. job that ended up being there for a very long time. Um, so I started seeing the Christian education. I was getting a lot of great training, you know, with technology and I saw this Christian education, and I wanted to be in, more involved with my children. And God opened the door for me in 2000, and that's when I went into Christian education in 2000. So I was able to go into a Christian school, and I was able to take my background with with all of the technology, with PowerPoints and all the elect oh, yeah. everything electronic, and I just brought it into that Christian school and was able to develop their elementary, help develop their elementary program. And then we were able to hire some teachers. <clears throat> we actually hired some Maranatha teachers. Well, of course. And uh, they were able You've to help. You've always been committed to the best. Absolutely. Then I was coaching also at this Christian school, and I just focused on volleyball because they didn't have basketball. And then when they had basketball, I coached that too, but... Well, um, who was coaching Maranatha at that time would have been Coach Marcia Jackson. Jackson. Mm -hmm. And you guys are have are a little bit similar uh, in your very driven. We are a lot similar. And we can be successful. sisters. <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling that uh, she plays into that story of the connection to she Maranatha. Does. Yes. She does. So back, oh, when my children were younger, late elementary, junior high, 
we wanted to take them to camp, to a volleyball camp. So guess where we chose? Maranatha's volleyball camp with Coach Marsha Jackson. Nice. So that's how we got our introdu- introduction to Maranatha and started coming here and brought our our volleyball team here every year. So the camps are in the summer, and just take a minute to kind of promote our we call oh, them thank Saber you. camps Let's do now, that. okay? Because you have you, you run an incredible volleyball camp, and it's we'd like to think so. I, I know so. I don't have to think so. And uh, now we not only have for teams that can bring their team or individuals can sign up and come, and it's an incredible time to, like, make explosive growth in both skills and tactics and strategies. I think the coaches get about as much out of it as the players as they come and kind of soak it all up for a week. And we now have a men's track as well with the men's volleyball, which isn't as as big as a, a it's component growing. of it, but it's, it's growing. definitely growing. And I'm loving seeing the sport uh, over. I, I personally loved playing volleyball when I was in college and, and then in law school competitively. And so as Maranatha's program has taken off, that has been a really exciting development. The games are very different, I think. Uh, Very it's not just a little, I mean, what is the net about eight inches higher, but, uh, it's a little more than just that, that are the differences. And we, I definitely want to explore that in just a minute, but these camps and we have soccer and basketball for men and women and volleyball now for men and women. And these are an awesome opportunity to, uh, really connect with college level players and coaches. A lot of our players will come back. You always have players and alumni that come back and help oh, out. Sometimes with those camps. I have the best all star alumni. I look at these instructors. rosters and I go, man, those were the glory days. <laughs> it's amazing. So definitely, if you uh, are on the fence about what to do with that week of the summer, cancel the rest of your plans and do the Saber camps uh, all three weeks and then do music and drama camp. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, plug, plug July is, 18th. Uh, has been extended. July 18th. There it is. All right, so your connection was with the camp, and you brought your teams up. Was that a – did you view that when you were coaching high school as kind of like a pre-preseason absolutely. opportunity? Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of – many years I was able to bring almost my entire team. Some years just a few girls, mm-hmm. but it was always – you could always tell the difference – between those who went to camp and those who didn't go to camp. And it was usually two or three weeks before preseason actually started. It was always a great opportunity. Plus, it, it allows the ladies to bond, and that's always a special thing. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, camp is always an immersive opportunity no matter what kind of camp it is. So if it's a volleyball camp, they're getting 24-7. And also soaking up, I mean, the counselors for those weeks are your players, and for the most part, college students at Maranatha. And what a great influence that they're able to have on that high school student that probably sees them as a bit of a hero, wouldn't you think? <laughs> My counselors know that it's an exhausting week for them, but oh, yes. it's a week they love. Yeah. They mm-hmm. love to pour themselves into these players, so the young players. Well, it fits perfectly into the mission because you're developing leaders You know, while your players are here on campus, but then they get to in turn do the same thing, practice that skill. With the high school students. Many times I've also allowed them to be the one to speak in chapel, mm. my players. And so they have to develop a PowerPoint and their message. I, I told them what I want them to talk about, but they develop it and they present it. And the young campers really listen well to those counselors. They love to hear what they have to say. So how do you end up then moving from northern Illinois 
to Watertown, Wisconsin, which I'm sure for a couple of Oklahoma folks just seems like just about the Arctic Circle. So Coach Jackson is getting ready to retire. Does she Is she the one that called you or was it someone else? Well, first of all, I have to yeah. say, Dr. Davis, that <laughs> God moved us from Oklahoma to Illinois. Right. And then it was very clear that God led us from Illinois up to Watertown. And we said that, Lord, if you keep moving us north, we're going to be in Canada next. Yes, yeah. This <laughs> so, will be the last stop. So Lord, That's we would like me. to go back south. We do enjoy the southern <laughs> the southern climate, but we would love to go back south. But Coach Jackson, so through all of that, my daughter now graduates high school, and she's making her decision on where to go to college. And so we've given her some uh, areas, some choices, and so we've let her decide, and she chose Maranatha. And so she, Coach Jackson did not get to see her her senior year. Hmm. So Coach Jackson did not have her on the radar. And so she came as a walk-on. And she made the team. And in the second week of the season, she became the starting libero as a freshman. Oh, wow. Yeah. So so she played her freshman and her sophomore year. And it was during her sophomore year that Coach Jackson announced her retirement. So that was in 06. But she kind of announced it at my house. Because they were playing <laughs> at a, um, they were in the, was that the LMS back then? Or were we NAC? I'm not really certain if that was LMS or NAC. But we were probably NAC because they yeah. were playing Chicago teams. So they had come over to our house to, I think we made a dinner for them. And so she pulled me aside and she said, I'm going to be announcing to my team that I'm retiring. And I think you should fill my position. Whoa. So Dropped I laughed. Bomb on yeah, you. I laughed. Yeah, I laughed. I laughed. Talk about a no call. Well, yeah. But what you have to understand with all of that is my husband owns his own business and he owns his business in Chicago. Right. So that's <laughs> about a three hour commute for us to, if we would come here. So I mm. knew that it was impossible for me to come here. And yet, and here yet, you are. Well, she asked several times. And at that time, that was Dr. John Brock. Mm-hmm. And he had called me a couple of times. And um, at one point, my husband came to me and said, honey, I think, um, I think I can make this work. And so it was my husband that was really the one that sacrificed because probably a lot of people don't realize for the first few years, he drove every day back and forth to Chicago. Yeah. Well, we're neighbors and I see there's probably about a half a million miles on that vehicle. <laughs> Oh, do you really want to know? No, you don't. So he is a road warrior and honestly, probably your biggest fan and and, and certainly, uh, and yet uh, as much as he's on the road and working with his business, he's a big part of your, your team and your coaching. He's like an assistant coach for you almost. Definitely through the men's season he has yeah. for the last eight years, but we've had a, a bit of a change in the last four years. That's uh, my mother-in-law lives with us now, and yeah. so he spends a little bit more time with her than with our team now. But yes, he's he was always known as Mr. Kochi. Mr. Kochi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I can't wait to call him that next time I see him. So, um, yes, that next year I was hired and came on and It just happened to fit both for you to step into a faculty role and to coach at the same the well, same year. Uh, it was a gradual develop? thing okay. because Dr. Corick, who was working in the applied oh, yeah. science, also was retiring. So I took on Dr. Corick's 
uh, elementary education science classes, and then Marcia Jackson stayed on two more years as faculty. Not oh, she did. Yes, stayed on two more years, and so then when she retired, then I picked up her math education courses also. How many years difference between Kedra and Tori? Four. Four years. Well, the three and a half of four years. So they never years. got to play on the court together at Maranatha, or did they? Not at Maranatha. Yeah. That would have been awesome. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <that would> have <laughs> been. So, so Tori comes along, and she, of course, owns all the records, I'm pretty sure. And so what is that like to coach your daughter at the collegiate level? That's pretty, pretty awesome. For me, it's not as hard. I just te- treat them like the rest of the players. For them, I think it was harder Maybe. to have their mother as their coach. I know that when we came to Maranatha, we talked to each one of our children because we brought a freshman, a junior, and then going to be a junior in college. Hmm. And we wanted to make sure that they were on board with our family decision. And everyone was very excited to get to make the move. But it was harder than they thought. And the I think one of the hardest ones was my junior in college hmm. because it was like, wow, my family has now come back. I went <laughs> away to college yes, and, and then they followed me. <laughs> and she was very excited to have me come back to coach her again, And but it was hard for her. So, But I will say that they both uh, were, were very good. My older daughter, she was like NAC Defensive Player of the Year and so – well, that's a big deal. And people don't understand. I mean, the Northern Athletic Conference is an NCAA conference that we played in uh, for 10 years or so and very stiff competition. And you guys were competitive in the NAC, not just in the Christian College Conference with our dual affiliation. And yet most of the other Christian colleges that we played against were not NCAA. And so they weren't competing at that level. Do you think – the fact that our teams are dual affiliated in the NCAA actually improves their competitive lo- competitiveness level. The fact that we're playing against schools, many of whom are three and four times our size, and and you know it it, it can be some rough competition there. But but how does that then help us, or or you think it hurts us? I guess that's that's my question. I think if you go and ask my players, they would say, "Give us a tough season." They Hmm. love playing good competition. They would much rather play a game, even if we would lose, than go and and play a team that we would beat quite handily. A cupcake. Okay. That's what that's what they call it in the in football. We usually say twenty five to five. So whatever. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's how we usually describe it. Twenty five five. So they would much rather play a very tough uh, season, and I believe it prepares us then, both physically. Uh, right. And mentally for going into our postseason and going into nationals. That's what I was wondering is if you felt like, I mean, on the one hand, as long as you're not getting beat up, like physically, you know, and in volleyball, it's not as much an issue. But it seems to be a very tight-knit team competition because unlike any other sport, it mashes you as a team into a very small space and you have six players that have to know each other inside and out and yet they rotate. So you can't just get comfortable in one place. What What is it about volleyball that is kind of unique in that way? Have you ever, ever thought about that? I mean, you've played a bunch of sports, coached other sports. Um, is, is volleyball unique in its camaraderie, it's team chemistry. I had someone watching our practice not too long ago, and they made the comment, wow, I can tell they've really played together a lot. 
because they know how each one is going to be moving. And we practice that. We we work on certain plays. We work on certain balls. We work on what we call out-of-system balls so that we know what to do with them. Probably one of the sweetest things of knowing how to work together was when I had twins as my setters. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because yeah. Uh, they were both setting. And when you have an out-of-system and you have the setter out, then the other twin... Explain that term, out-of-system. Uh, so you want the ball to go to a defender, and then that pass goes to the setter, and then that setter sends it to... A hitter, and then and they attack the, the ball. That's the so system. That's the system. So if something's gone wrong. Pass, set, hit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So if the setter has to take the first ball, then that would be out of system because then the setter can't take the second ball. But we had it in a beautiful rotation where the other setter would take – There the was other, no the such twin, thing. They the couldn't twin. put you out of system because they you – They could not. And yeah. they – those twins were so close and they knew each other so well that – they didn't even have to tell each other they were out of system because they knew and that they the other one just took right over. So that was pretty special to I watch. I remember when they were freshmen playing basketball. Yes. And everything was a home run. Like every every pass that was going for was like a home run and usually just with a look, right? Like mm-hmm. streaming down. And it didn't always connect. In fact, their freshman year, I don't know if it ever connected. But, <laughs> but, but uh, man, what a dominant thing. What a great asset to have on the court. Oh, what about the first year when they played with their older sister? Oh, man, mm-hmm. Lexi, yeah. And, one of and, them was number eight. One was number nine. Was One was number ten. That I was bet pretty the special. other teams just hated life. I usually have the referees come to me and say, are they twins? <laughs> yeah, you think? You think? Are they triplets? Yeah, they, you know, and that's then a, they say, how do you keep them apart? Well, one has a nine on their yeah, jersey and right. one has a ten. <laughs> that's good in, in the game. I don't know about practice. So you, you see volleyball uh, brings out, just like any competitive thing, the good and the bad, the emotional, the stress, you know, all of those kinds of things. And ultimately, I doubt we have too many that go on to play professionally or to make volleyball their life. But what can you take out of that time as a student athlete that actually does translate then into kind of the rest of life? many of them go on to be volleyball coaches. Oh, yeah. So that translates well. Um, Many of the men, even several of them have gone on to be volleyball coaches, but some of them, they go on and play like summer leagues and – um, they develop really special friendships through that. And so that's something I, I believe that, well, I actually did a survey of my former players a year ago because I was putting some information together. And, and most of them talk about the family aspect, how many of them are still very close friends. And I've been here 15 years now, so they've been close friends all of those years. Mm. Um, they talk about... Um, just that genuine love that they have for each other, that care, that concern, being able to go to them and say, um, I'm, I'm hurting in this area or I need help in this area. So they, they mentor each other. They lift each other up. They pray for each other. It's just a, a special blessing. Even what uh, – this doesn't really answer your question, but to take it in a little bit different direction. One of the biggest blessings I have is I get those texts – back from my former players. I get those phone calls back and, you know, coach, pray for us. We're going through this trial in our life. Or coach, guess what? I've got this exciting thing. So those are very special blessings. And that's, I think that goes to show that how they've connected to each other in a, in a lifelong way 
with Absolutely. the team. But what can they take from that? You know, we talk so much about character growth, you know, just how I mentioned doing things with excellence or being diligent or being persistent or persevering through very tough times. This last year, I had five starters on the bench with injuries mm. that started my season. I didn't even start with five of my players. Mm -hmm. And just mentally working through that. I don't know if that answers your question, but it kind of takes it in the fact that these ladies are learning life skills. Right. You know, and, it, and we it, talk about they're going to be mothers. They're going to, you know, what are you going to do when you have a, a sick child? Or what are you going to do when when your husband, you know, loses his job? Or, you know, the, the stress adversity of life. that life is mm -hmm. going to throw at you is very similar to the adversity that's in some ways artificially manufactured through sports competitions. I mean, in a way, it's fake, but it doesn't feel fake. It's very real. It's in front of me. It's right now. And if I can learn to manage the pressure, the the stress, the emotion, the the moment that this competition provides, then I'm also proving to myself what I'm capable of, what God's capable of doing through me in achieving victory on a little different stage. That That's where we see it translate into real life. Well, and how many times do they say that character— you don't grow your character through sports. It's revealed. And so once it's revealed, then you can grow. I mean, that's what we usually spend a lot of our devotional time at our practices on is uh, maybe some character flaws that we might have that maybe what, we need to see what biblical principles what we can pull from What are you talking about that. devotional time at practice? You, you don't get very many hours to practice compared to a lot of programs out there, like the D1 programs go all year, but, but you're taking time in each practice to talk about spiritual things? Can you explain that to people? I, I think that's very counterintuitive to folks just generally <laughs> that this would be part of your what you program for your teams. We get together at the beginning of every practice. We share prayer requests. We pray. And I usually have some kind of a devotional thought. Or we have our theme that we have for the year. And based on that theme, I will ask my players, would you bring a devotional based on that? We try to keep them short. We, they're, not, they're not a 30-minute devotional, but five right. to 10. But we're, it's something that for us to mentally focus on so that we can improve both on the court, character, relational. So what was your theme this last year? Oh, boy, you're really going to ask me that, right? <laughs> well, I mean, g give us an example of the theme. These aren't like thinking. long. It's thinking. Yeah. Uh, it's based on You just on have thought. a word, and yes. it, usually that's on the camp shirt. Yes. I always notice. <laughs> well, what we try to do is we try to bring the theme that we're going to have for our year into the camp before. Yeah. And so we have our mm -hmm. devotionals built on that. So yours this year is thinking. Was thinking. Thinking, uh, godly thinking, biblically thinking. Uh -huh. And so what we think on, what comes out of our lives. Think on these mm -hmm. things. Yes. I see. Thinking. But that's a part of the camaraderie, you know, for Christians, we're not just together on the sport aspect, you're learning together. And when you learn spiritual things together, it endears each other. You know, you, you get closer because it's vulnerable to say, I messed up. Hmm. And like the iron sharpening iron, we tried to have that type of a meeting. So each week, everyone had a accountability partner. And they would get together at least once during the week. They were encouraged more than that. But they'd maybe have dinner together or maybe have some dorm time together. And they would just talk and share their prayer requests and challenge each other and tell each other what they had been um, studying God's Word, what they were learning. And just so each week we had a 
uh, different partner that they would get together with. So we we have that time that they can get together, and then we have a time that we can pray together, and then we have a time that we can just kind of share some of God's Word. I've also seen your teams after games talk to the players on the other team. What is that all about? Well, that was pre-COVID. Can I tell you that? Yes, right. <laughs> what we would do is we would have little prayer cards. Uh, some years we would buy the little pass-along cards, and other years um, when... Tori was uh, coaching with me, she would design the cards and we would have them laminated. So what the ladies would do is they would sign the back of the card and just tell, we would choose a person from the other team, an opponent, and we would have their roster. Each person on my team would choose someone from their team and they would fill out a card for them and they would take time before the game and actually pray for that person. And then after the game, then we would take that card and give to them and say, when, just wanted you to know I prayed for you and you know, is there anything that I could pray specifically for you and just hope you have a good season and just enjoy your time on your team? Do they look at them like they're from another planet when they do that? That's well, got to be a little have unique. Had, we have had all <laughs> kinds of different um, reception to that. Some coaches have asked us not to ask them to pray with them, but that's rare. Yeah. Most of them will tell us yes. And some of the ladies, I do know that some of my ladies will try to choose the same people from the team if we play mm -hmm. them for several years. Mm -hmm. I remember when Tori was a player, she chose someone off of a specific team. And we, when we met them one year at Nationals, they said, I want you to know I have all four of your cards in, in, oh, wow. uh, in my book bag. In her book bag? She carried them every day. Wow. Wow. So I think for some people, I think they're meaningful. Others, we see them laying on the benches, so we know yeah. that they didn't like them. But yeah. that's not that's not the main point, whether they like them or not, no. is that we right. are praying for them. They do know that we are praying for them. And we we, we don't want it to be intimidating. We just want it. No. And we've, I've had several of them. If it's genuine, and that's what I've always sensed that it is. And even I've heard stories of our girls going up to them, say the second or third time we might meet a team in the season and say, hey, I've been praying about that. How's it going? And just your jaw <laughs> dropped to see, wait, that was serious? You've really been praying for me? Well, I've had coaches come up to me and say, would you pray for me? Right. Oh, wow. Because I'm uh, maybe a Christian coach that he's mentoring his team. We can't we also be have... afraid to be authentic Christians, even around people that we don't know how they're going to receive it, or we think they're going to reject it, or we have made up in our minds that they're not going to like that. And that's just usually not the reaction. Usually people are actually blown away and appreciate it, even if they don't have, maybe especially if they don't have much of a prayer life or spiritual life, they feel like there's somebody that does that is, you know, willing to go to God for me. You know, they have a very simple understanding of that, but it, what an inroad that you could be. You might even be amazed at the number of parents oh. that would come up to me <laughs> after the game and say, thank you for giving that for, to my daughter. Mm. So, How'd you get started doing that? I, I believe that was a Marsha Jackson. Coach Jackson had that, and we just kind of carried the tradition and because we always would pray for them. Uh, the other team, but then this was a tangible thing that we could show them that we yeah. were praying for them and tell tell them and show them, and it was a way to be able to connect to them, mm -hmm. and and it just kind of kind of grew from there. I guess. Well, I love that Maranatha Athletics has been over the years competitive and successful with the national championships and the regional championships and the recognitions of. Uh, 
player of the year, you know, like like Tori, uh, player of the decade or Allie century. Renz, I mean, come on. Kelsey Johnson. S- some of these players Maddie we've Bumpus. had. Yeah, I, I love that we've been so successful on the court. But way more than that is the the spiritual impact that the teams have on their own players and on other players, parents, spectators, and frankly, even on people like me, administrators and fans. And so I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your dedication and your commitment to excellence in glorifying God in every single thing that you do, your openness to follow that winding path that led you here and your faithfulness all of these years in seeing generation after generation of college student come through Crusaders and then Sabercats athletic teams. Thank you, Coach D. Go Sabercats. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us today. On Mission is a production of Maranatha Baptist University. To learn more from Coach Delosier, enroll on campus at mbu.edu slash apply or register to attend a volleyball saber camp at mbusabercats.com slash camp. Subscribe to On Mission on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to leave a review as this will help other growing leaders find these conversations. For more information about our guests, previous episodes, and general information about On Mission or MBU, go to mbu.edu slash podcast. Join us again next week as we examine what keeps leaders on mission.